When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. It is the tail end of the day. We've had plenty of discussion during the course of the day on Australia's T20 World Cup flop. It was a flop. And there's been a lot of criticism of the Australian cricket team. The fact they've just moved on. What I'd like to do at the top of the program, and thanks for joining us, Peter Vlahos here, and you can get on the temper at Bedshed uh, text line 0487 736 736. Describe in one word what you think of the Australian T20 World Cup team based on performance or individuals? One word. You know what the word has been used a lot in describing the Australian cricket team? Arrogant. That has been certainly the word that's been bandied around. Arrogant. Do you agree? Come on, get on the text machine 0487 736 736. One word to describe Australia's woeful performance at the T20 World Cup. And tell us how you feel. Uh, The answer is that this is quite ugly, what transpired here in Australia. Creating greats, including former Test Captain Michael Clarke and fast bowler Simon O'Donnell today, highlighted the sentiment that the Aussie dressing room is simply not liked by the average punter. Have a listen to... Simon O'Donnell first. The, the, the Langer thing's big in this. Pe- people didn't like how that happened. And Justin Langer was, was much loved as a player and you know, went about his business and he was hard-nosed. And you know, that unceremonious dumping of the coach and the, the player's activity behind the scenes in that, that, that has left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Certainly has. And you looked at the attendances that have gone to see the Australian matches. There's only 18,000 at the Adelaide Oval for their match against Afghanistan. And they just got over by four runs. So I'd like to get your thoughts. One word to describe the Australian cricket team. What would it be in your eyes? 0487 736 736. So up next, there's three ODIs against England. Two tests against the West Indies. One of those is here at Optus Stadium. Three tests against South Africa. A four-test tour of India. Six ODIs against India and Afghanistan. Then we've got the World Test Championship final. A five-test Ashes series. An eight-match white ball tour of South Africa. And a 50-over World Cup in India. Then the 2023 24 home summer kicks off. That's all before next summer here 
in Australia. It is just a packed schedule. And I heard the boys on the run home discussing how much of that really resonates with the Australian public, uh, particularly maybe the white ball cricket. We certainly loved getting involved with the Ashes. We'd love to get involved in the World Cup in India. But uh, I'm just wondering how much of the other type of competition resonates with the Australian public. 0487 736 736 is the text line. One word to describe the Australian cricket team. Arrogant is the one that's been bandied around. And there's not a lot of love loss between the Australian public and our Australian cricket team at the moment. Now, tomorrow night, and I'll give you a bit of an early tease here, is that we go inside the vault. Last week, when we launched here on Sports Day in the vault, we went back to the late 1980s and when the West Coast Eagles were formed and the coaching merry-go-round that prevailed, particularly in the early years, the opening four years of that football club. Ron Alexander got the gig in 1987. In 22 then VFL games, because it was an expanded VFL competition, it was 11 and 11. John Todd then took over in 88, 89, and then he was dumped, sacked, and Mick Moldhouse came in. And John Todd did testify on this program last week in the vault on Tuesday that he only found out about his sacking when he read it in the West Australian newspaper. And that's the first We'd heard of that. Now, tomorrow night, we're going back a few years to 1976-77 summer here in Australia. And we're going across the Madagara Bridge to the WACA ground. And here's a tease of who we'll be focusing on because we'll be speaking to one of the West Australian players that was involved in this match in 1976-77. Let's kick it off. Here's Greg Chappell. I thought we could win it. Uh, we had Viv Richards, myself, um, in two international batters in the lineup. Um, you know, you'd think that perhaps one of us get some runs and uh, we'd be able to, to win that game. But um, it didn't reckon on probably one of the great performers of all time, and that was Dennis Keith Lilly. Dennis, typical Dennis fashion, just sort of continued down the pitch and and uh, kicked the stump. And I thought that was just very symbolic of, uh, you know, what had happened and what was about to happen. The late Rod Marsh there talking about that match, the miracle match, Queensland and WA. And we'll speak to one of the West Australian players as we go in the vault and relive that match all those years ago. One of the great cricket matches that is etched into West Australian and Australian cricketing folklore. On the text line, the text machine for Sports Day, 0487 736 736, Alex of North Lake says, prima donnas. That's what he feels about the Australian cricket team. Down in Bustleton, Spewey says, pus, P-U-S-S. Interesting. And good old Norman Cal, self-righteous. So they're all very complimentary of our national cricket team. And one wonders uh, what others have to say. 0487 736 736. Now, after the break, as we said, a lot has been covered regarding the Netherlands' incredible win against South Africa yesterday. 
that turfs South Africa out of semi-final contention in this T20 World Cup. And I thought to myself, what angle do I take? Because a lot has been done during the course of the day. So after the break, I'm speaking to Jeff Marsh because between 2001 and 2004, he gave up his job as a selector of then the Australian Cricket Board, now known as Cricket Australia, to venture to Harare and take control of Zimbabwe. And just a couple of years before he actually played for Australia, in the 1983 World Cup in Nottingham, Australia were beaten by Zimbabwe. So we're going to relive that match and what it meant to Zimbabwe in cricket and also talk to Jeff Marsh about his time in Zimbabwe and also how he sees the minnows and what they've done in this current ICC T20 World Cup. That's coming up after the break here on Sports Day with Peter Vlahos. Sports Day for Kia. Kia didn't just make an eight-seat family car. They made a grand utility vehicle. Kia Carnival GUV. And Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA-owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, and the text machine is uh, certainly happening. 0487 736 736. Firstly, uh, Norman Cal, who's a great listener. Hope everything's OK up there on the gold fields, Norm. Uh, does Cricket Australia think WA is just Perth? Why were none of the Scorchers WBBL matches not televised? I mean, both games were the top of the table clashes, yet we get the bottom of the ladder clash in Tassie. WA is one third of this continent. And you can't just shoot down to Lilac Hill with your dog to watch. Uh, WBBL, uh, that's uh, from Norm. And Lee says, hi, Peter. One word is pathetic for the Australian cricket team. It was great to see Ryan Campbell's team, the Netherlands, roll South Africa. It certainly was, Lee. And, of course, he was featured a bit earlier today. And this is just a snippet of what Cambo had to say about that. And then we'll have a chat to Jeff Marsh as well. At the end of the day, I reckon, you know, I was in Hong Kong and then in the Netherlands, so I've seen how hard it is for the associate world where they don't get the funds. You know, we've only got six full-time contracts that, you know, <laughs> so our players, most of them are, um, are still at school or they're working and they combined all these things. So for us to now put out a performance like that and, you know, try and get the attention of world cricket to say, hey, you know what? Let's spread the game. And to me, you know, we, we know that it, you know, the 50-over World Cup is only 10 teams, which is an absolute joke. Um, the little teams have to play well to sort of show the world, you know what, this is pretty cool fun to watch. And, you know, hopefully the results of, you know, in the last year in Namibia, we've seen Scotland do fantastic things. And obviously the Dutch have always been around the mark. So... Uh, hopefully the administrators pay attention and, and they've enjoyed it as much as us. Mate, you've got to give the little fellas an opportunity to play against the big, the big uh, boys. And, you know, I think, you know, with the Netherlands, we were lucky enough and we worked hard enough to win the World Cricket League, which qualified us for the Super League in the ODIs. And that's given us, you know, eight three-match fixtures against the best teams in the world, and, you know. This year in cricket, the Netherlands have played New Zealand, England, the West Indies, Pakistan, Afghanistan. Man, that's never happened before. Yeah. And it's not surprising to me that we're the ones that now have stood up at a World Cup because the boys have gone through it and they've understood what the level needs to be to compete at this level. And 
You know, that's for me. Like I sort of said it the other day, I think, when I was asked in the media, if teams are going to play England and touring, stop it in the Netherlands and play against us. Stop in Scotland and play against them. Mate, county teams, playing against a county team for a warm-up, they don't want to be there. They're, they're rubbish opposition. So why not go up against these associates who will give it everything and put on a good show? And then we learn. Everyone gets to see, you know, what we've got to offer and, you know, hopefully cricket goes forward in, in a much better way. Well, you just heard a bit from Ryan Campbell there about that magnificent win by the Netherlands yesterday against South Africa. How ironic with Cambo after spending so many years trying to build credibility and the status of Netherlands cricket goes out with a victory like that at the Adelaide Oval yesterday. And I thought today I'd maybe speak to a gentleman who went and coached a minnow cricket nation for a few years on the back end of when Australia was beaten by Zimbabwe in the 1983 World Cup. Zim won by 13 runs. It was an incredible introduction into international cricket for that uh, small nation when it came to cricket. And, of course, a couple of years uh, after that, he started playing in ODIs and eventually, talking about Jeff Marsh, took over the reins as coach of Zimbabwe cricket. So he knows what it's like uh, when you win against more prominent opposition. And we've got Jeff on the program. Jeff, thanks for your time. G'day, Pete. Good to be here, mate. Yeah, nice to chat to you. Uh, I know we've got you in Melbourne. You're overseeing uh, the WA Second Eleven at the moment. How's it going over there, by the way? Yeah, no, the boys are going well. They're, uh, they've got Victoria fall down for uh, for Nike. So, uh, yeah, we're doing really well. Lucky, we're, you know, so lucky to get on. There's been so much... Uh, so much rain here in Victoria and, uh, you know, for some of the Victorians, it's only the second week they've actually been able to get on uh, on the wicket. So, um, yeah, so we're very lucky. It's a beautiful ground out here at Ringwood and the boys are going well. Good stuff. Well, you, of course, left uh, Cricket Australia. You were the uh, selector for the Australian Cricket Board, now Cricket Australia. You left that position in 2001 to become coach of the Zimbabwean national team. And you stayed there for about three years until political circumstances made you move on. But when you arrived in Zimbabwe and Harare, were they still talking about that 1983 World Cup victory over Australia in Nottingham? I was there for three years, and I reckon they mentioned that every single day I was there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just very, I'm just very happy that I didn't play in the game. But um, yeah, it, look, it certainly was a highlight uh, for Zimbabwe, and you, you know, you've just, um, you know, after coaching there for three years, you, you just realise how much it means to, um, for such a small country and a developing country um, in the game of cricket. What it means to to win against, uh, you know, a very good side. And, you know, I only recently uh, caught up with Davey Alton, who was, uh, um, who coached Zimbabwe uh, in this World Cup. And, uh, you know, their goal was to upset uh, the big teams in the competition. And, um, you know, they did that um, by beating Pakistan. Um, so it means a lot to them. You would have looked on with some great memories of Zimbabwe in this current World Cup here in Australia and New Zealand. How did you see their cricket, Jeff? Yeah, well, when I was there, we had a um, uh, you know we had a very good side developing, and um, you know with just small numbers, but 
uh, Davey Houghton has now got cricket going really well in the in, in, in Zim. He he's got uh, the game going back out into the country areas. Um, they now have. Uh, Two county cricketers allowed to play in each of their first-class teams, which is four. And uh, they have a month in Zimbabwe now where uh, English county uh, teams come over as a pre-season and they they, uh, they have that as a competition. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying very, very hard to develop. Um, they obviously lost a lot of players there at one stage with the two Flower Brothers going, um, you know, streaky finishing up and some good quality cricketers, but uh, they're back on track. And as we saw during the World Cup, they've got some very good players. Mm, Certainly have. Saying that, when you saw what happened yesterday with a favourite son of WA cricket like you are with Ryan Campbell, what were your emotions when the Netherlands upset South Africa and more importantly, knocked them out of the semi-finals of this T20 World Cup? Yeah, well, firstly, very, very happy for Ryan. He's put his heart and soul and, you know, he's picked his family up and taken them. And, um, you know, he's worked really, really hard uh, for them over a number of years now. And, um, you know, just trying to bring in a real cricket culture. He's gone out and got, um, you know, all the players around the world that are playing county cricket. Um, and there's some very good players there. And he's developed, uh, you know, a very good squad. And... Uh, it, it, Every time you play a game against, whether it be Ireland or whether you play the Netherlands or Zimbabwe, whoever now, you can't take them lightly because there's so many players, even though they're not professional cricketers like the Australians are, they, you know, a lot of those players in those countries have got to go to work and they can only train when uh, when their day's work's over. There's still some very, very cricketers coming through the system and there's their own systems with development of junior players is becoming a lot better. It's interesting. I looked at the game yesterday and I gather what thing that Rhino has worked with Ryan Campbell is technique, which is what you would have worked on when you went to Zimbabwe, of course, uh, those years ago between 2001 and 2004. And let me tell you, looking at the Netherlands yesterday, some of their batsmen showed some great uh, technique in hitting, of course, the South African bowlers to all parts of the ground. They can't invest in specialised coaches like they do in Australia and England, of course, those established nations. So it's important to uh, develop on that area. Did you focus on that area as well? Uh, no, no doubt. We uh, well in Zimbabwe we had um, Andy Flower, who was one of our who was one of our leading players over there, and has recently gone on and coached uh, England and now coaching in the IPL. Uh, he and his brother were two of the hardest working players that I've seen in world cricket and um, always working on their technique and they were just great leaders and then a lot of, a lot of the younger players coming through the system in Zimbabwe would every time you drive into the sports club or into a Rari uh, cricket club they would be in the nets practicing and that's uh, the um, and every single player young player saw that and and that is what created uh, the improvement in the players because they started going and doing the same thing. And uh, same with Ryan in the Netherlands, you know, like um, he put in a lot of time into um, into developing players and, and, and developing players become very good T20 players, which is really important. And you can, you can always have your top three or four players uh, uh, in your team, but in those countries, you've got to develop 
11, they've got to be able to, um, you know, to contribute to the team. And um, a lot of his time would have been going into all those lesser players to, to get them up so that when they came up against the great sides, they, were, they could hold their own. Yeah, certainly he leaves a legacy there at Netherlands Cricket. He's done an outstanding job. And what a way to go out with that victory over South Africa. Can I ask you about the performance of Australia, which was very disappointing, and people are saying now that they need to overhaul the squad. What are your thoughts, Jeff? Well, I think, um, you know, obviously the first game we played against New Zealand was disappointing. And, and look, you probably look back at our form leading into uh, the World Cup uh, with our practice matches. We we weren't we weren't playing well. Even in practice matches, we were struggling. We 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 lost games of cricket, and um, I think that showed in our very very first game. And I don't think we ever really recovered to to get back to that form that we were show, we showed in the last World Cup. Uh, so right through the whole uh, the whole tournament, but it, it was a, a World Cup so far that uh, teams were being upset by these lesser teams, um, and that's no excuse for Australia because we lost to New Zealand. But um, yeah, I, I just don't think we played well enough to, and certainly didn't warrant playing in the finals the way that we were playing. But in saying that, we lost one game. Yeah. And uh, who knows what would have happened if we'd have played England at the MCG full house, um, you know, that, um, um, you know, in, in, in T20 cricket, you only need one game to, to get you going and get that momentum going. So um, that was disappointing. But um, as you say, you've got to, you've got to win, um, win every game you play. And if you don't, you can't lose by the amount we lost because at the end of the day, that cost us as any Yeah, very much so. And in some ways, when you look at it, uh, and particularly upsets, I mean, talking about upsets in this chat, uh, they were lucky to get away with that win against Afghanistan, weren't they? They were on the verge of maybe a major upset with Afghanistan getting over Australia. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the nature of T20 cricket. You, you know, like the, the games are a lot shorter, and um, you know these teams can, as I said, you know they can upset the best players in the team. But um, you know, I think uh, I think if you ask every player in that side, they'll just say that uh, you know we just didn't really hit our straps, and we and they couldn't get that momentum. We couldn't get momentum going into the into the tournament um, and in a tournament like this you've got to win those first couple of games uh, and that didn't happen for us and um, it just uh, showed it out where we finished up. Yep. Uh, well, Australia's out. There's four remaining. The semi-finals are about to be played Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Who do you think will win the tournament? Who's your fancy? I think, I think England are a very good side. Uh, I think they're really well better. They bat really low and they've got... Um, you know they've got some good bowlers, and I just I think they're a very good side. But you can't, you know, uh, Pakistan. You know they scraped in. You know I mean sometimes like sport is like that, isn't it? You know you scrape in and you win the next two games, you won a World Cup. <laughs> um, so and I certainly wouldn't put them out of the equation uh, as well. So and of course you can't write off um, uh, um, you can't write off India. Um, they've got some terrific players in their side in New Zealand. Well. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. New Zealand. They keep ending up in finals, and uh, they're incredible uh, cricket team and magnificently led by Williamson. Yeah, and of course, your son Mitch Marsh is so important uh, in Australian cricket going forward, uh, and we wish him the best of luck. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Always great to have a chat to you. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye bye. Utility vehicle Kia Carnival GUV and Toolmart, your complete tool centre, proudly WA owned and operated for over forty years. 
Yes, yeah, great to have you company here on uh, Sports Day with uh, Peter Vlahos. Very shortly, I'll speak to Brett Phillips uh, about the world of tennis. And there's a couple of very good young players emerging from this side of the country. As you know, West Australia has certainly delivered in recent years when it comes to talent. You know, Matt Ebden, Casey Delacqua, just to name a couple. Storm Sanders is doing great things on the doubles uh, circuit and is in the top 10 doubles in the world now. And there's a couple of other young ladies that are certainly going places when it comes to tennis. I'll also talk to Brett about a bizarre video that sees Novak Djokovic's team preparing a drink and they hand it during uh, the shock loss to Danish teenager Holger Rune in the final of the Paris Masters. It's come out just today and the video was taken during Djokovic's win over Stefanos Tsitsipas in the semis and appears to show the Serbians' entourage, they're mixing a drink before realising they are being filmed. And as members of the team realise there is a camera on them, they shift their seating positions to block the view and the water bottle was then handed to a ball girl who ran it over to Djokovic. So... I'm going to talk to Brett Phillips about that, uh, which is a very interesting little scenario. And it was interesting at the Paris Masters. Djokovic got beaten, the world number one. And Igor Zvitek was also beaten, uh, the world women's number one, the Polish youngster who's taking all before her by Anya Sabalenka. So we'll talk about that. Uh, That's all coming up in our tennis wrap with uh, Brett Stevens in just a moment. There was some interesting research done by the Australian Sports Commission on sports here in Australia, and which sport is basically being played by the most Australians, that is, participants. Now, in the battle of the football codes, soccer is an easy winner. And there's a bit of concern here for the AFL, I reckon, Australian rules footy, and even rugby league. Soccer was an easy winner with 946,000 participants in the 15-plus years age group ahead of Australian rules football with 481, so less, basically half of the, the soccer total. Soccer is also winning the hearts of our budding football stars. With 531,000 boys from 0 to 14 years of age participating, ahead of Australian Rules Football, 326, and Rugby League, 132,000. So they're saying, and this is the Australian Sports Commission's findings from a census that was conducted last year, that there may be some concerns regarding the Australian football and rugby league in relation to young people from zero to 14 years of age taking up the sport. And the other thing I suppose that's creeping in, and it's not a football code, is basketball certainly is on the up. There's no question about that. You see a lot more basketball rings in driveways these days and a lot of uh, young people taking part in the sport of basketball. And the fact that all of a sudden there's some Australians, ever-growing number of Australians involved in NBA, uh, is certainly giving uh, a career path for some young prospects here in the land down under. In fact, speaking of the Wildcats, John really uh, was certainly content with their win after five consecutive losses. They beat the Adelaide 36ers across the weekend. And this is what he said on... the the squad actually starting to believe in themselves again. Look, we, we had multiple contributors on the floor at every time. If you look at our previous eight games, even the ones we won, we haven't been playing at a high level. 
Now, you can look at that in a million different ways in the coach's lens, but we weren't playing at a good enough level to be winning games. On Saturday, we had multiple contributors. We had a great energy and buzz and belief about ourselves, And that, to me, was a better reflection of who we should be as a team. So many things are turning around for the Perth Wildcats, which is great to see. And the other thing that I found really interesting across the weekend, of course, one of our SEN uh, sports presenters, former Port Adelaide Premiership player, Kane Corns. He ran his second New York City Marathon at the weekend, and he reckons he was disappointed. Now, he completed 42.2 Ks in two hours and 40 minutes. Two hours and 40 minutes, and he was disappointed. And he says, you would think it's an okay time, but my personal best is two hours and 34. So you always want to improve, and you're pretty competitive, and you think you can go one better. Uh, so there you go. Well done, Kane Corns. That was a, an outstanding performance, of course, completing his second New York City marathon in a disappointing time for him of two hours and 40 minutes. As I said, tomorrow night we'll be looking at the vault, uh, getting inside the vault. We do that on a Tuesday to look at a significant moment in West Australian sport. As I mentioned at the top of the program, last week we focused on the Coaching mirror go around when the West Coast Eagles started back in 1987, from Alexander to Todd to Malthouse. We spoke to John Todd, who confessed, as I mentioned earlier, and only found out about his sacking and the handing over of the baton to Mick Malthouse in the press. No one was man enough from the West Coast Eagles to actually front him and said that he didn't have the job going into 1990. Well, tomorrow we'll be speaking to a member of the West Australian cricket team that was involved in this match. Here's Greg Chappell. I thought we could win it. Uh, we had Viv Richards, myself, um, and two international batters in the lineup. Um, you know, you'd think that perhaps one of us get some runs and uh, we'd be able to, to win that game. But um, it didn't reckon on probably one of the great performers of all time, and that is Dennis Keith Lilly. Dennis, typical Dennis fashion, just sort of continued down the pitch and and uh, kicked the stump. And I thought that was just very symbolic of, uh, you know, what had happened and what was about to happen. Amazing it was. Uh, considered one of the most electric moments in Australian cricket history when Dennis Lilly bowled Vivian Richards, the world's best bowler, bowling to, at that stage, the world's best batsman. And I'll be speaking to a very colourful individual who was part of the West Australian side that took part in that miracle match at the WACA ground. You can't afford to miss it. It really is going to be uh, a bit of fun tomorrow, and I look forward to sharing that with you here on Sports Day with uh, Peter Vlahos. Uh, It is. Looking back to the miracle match at the WACA ground when it was a different-looking WACA ground. And at the police end, if you recall, there was the bar and they used to shout, Lily, Lily, Lily. Uh, it was a different-looking whacker ground and what a match that was. So we're going to relive tomorrow here on uh, In the Vault with uh, yours truly. Looking forward to that. All right, so uh, as I said, our topic of conversation today has been one word that you would describe the Australian cricket team after their T20 World Cup flop opened the door for cricket fans to tell us how they really feel. And there's no soft spot when it comes to the Australian cricket team. Brett Phillips is next.
Welcome back to Sports Day. All thanks to Kia and Toolmart here on SENWA, wherever you may be listening. Monday night, love talking a bit of tennis with Brett Phillips. And there's been plenty happening in the world of tennis as we welcome Brett to the program. Brett, thanks for your time. Pete, always uh, good to talk some tennis with you over in the West. Yeah, likewise. I tell you what, bit of an upset this morning watching the WTA finals. And this uh, young lass, well, she's been around for a while, Sabalenka, doing the duty and uh, beating the world number one this morning. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Arena. And, you know, if we go back sort of 18 months, two years, I mean, she she was on the cusp. Uh, she made a semi at Wimbledon. She made a semi at the uh, US Open. She was just about there, ready to win a slam. And if you think about her progression over a few years, I mean, she, you know, right, the thing that struck you the most when you watched her is that she would just belt the cover off the ball, just absolutely no subtlety to her game. But she was up and about, interviewed her a couple of times and just, you know, the, 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 the Belarusians, a bit like you know, Azarenka, plenty of emotion. And then, obviously, she got the serving yips. Uh, we saw that at the Australian Open earlier this year, just lost her way on serve, just fell back a bit. Um, but, you know, you thought if she can sort of get her mentality right, if she can get the serving right, she was going to be, uh, you know, a player that could still contend on the tour. And, you know, she's been working on the mental side. And, look, she's just capable. She's a big game player. Uh, she loves the occasion. She loves the challenge. And, you know, I think there probably at some stage will be a uh, reward for her to win a major. Yeah, an amazing last 24 hours. And you saw that in the women this morning. And, of course, in Paris... Novak Djokovic got beaten by a 19-year-old. Tell us about the future of Holger Rune. Well, he's a beauty. He is a beauty. Uh, one of the most driven uh, young players uh, going around. I mean, if we just look at that trio at the moment, Elkarez, Sinner, and now uh, Holger, who's you know jumped to the top 10 at 19. I mean, he was playing a challenger about seven months ago you know, against players ranked 540-odd in the world. He was progressing. So, obviously, number one junior in the world, uh, we've, like Elkarez, been following him for, you know, since he was sort of 14, 15. Uh, thank goodness he shortened his name because it's a Holger Vitas Notskov Run. So we're just going with Holger Run there, which is uh, very nice. But look, uh, if you follow him on social media, he takes you right inside his world and he's dotting the I's, he's crossing the T's. Uh, his physical preparation, uh, similar to Elkarez, he's building a frame that can just go the journey. And now, you'll, um, I don't know whether you picked up in Paris during the week, he played Vavrinka, and mm. he has he has earned a little bit of a reputation. We saw it against Casper Ruud at the French this year when he sort of gave Ruud a little bit of the brush off and they had a few words to say in the locker room and he's been accused of being maybe a little bit of a spoiled brat. You know, Mum's there watching him every game. He's had Lars Christensen, long-time coach uh, from the junior days, and obviously he's, you know, he's growing onto the professional circuit and he's ruffled a few feathers. Uh, but he's a man who's a steam train, Pete, at the moment. Uh, you know, he and Alcaraz and Sinner are that driven to be the best. So I think tennis's future is in uh, particularly good hands. And the way he beat Djokovic today, I mean, you've got to go the journey with Novak, and he went beyond that. Yeah. Interesting also regarding Novak Djokovic, I don't know if you caught the video of uh, his semi-final win over Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, where his team were trying to pass him a substance, a drink of some sort from uh, outside the centre court. Did you catch that at all? Yeah, I did. And, look, this is not the first time. There was a, a similar situation which occurred 
uh, back at the Australian Open in 2020. So Djokovic sort of back then sort of dismissed questions um, about it, just saying his bottle contained a magic potion, as he mm. uh, referred, uh, prepared by his uh, physio. There was also, um, an in, I think, uh, a situation at uh, Wimbledon uh, this year, uh, but there were no concerns about uh, doping or whatsoever. He's one of several players that do take this sort of ingesting isotonic and, and sort of like a, like a dry pre-workout powder mid-match. So uh, we, we couldn't quite see what was happening because the, uh, the entourage had it all sort of covered up. But it's not so much a drink, but he sort of inhales this, uh, let's call it a substance of sorts that helps performance, but he's not... Um, not sort of being deemed to be illegal or anything like that. And obviously, the players in tennis do get tested extremely regularly. And we know that Novak sort of goes from a different hymn book, doesn't he? Uh, obviously, his thoughts on COVID, just all the things that he's done from a physical prep and nutrition point of view. He's a bit alternate in his methods. Uh, but I can understand if you're just sort of viewing that, uh, you would think uh, there's something, you know, not quite right. But... Uh, there's been a little bit of a history of Djokovic having these drinks sort of brought to him from his entourage, um, you know, mid-match. I tell you what, Ash Barty is making a way west in a week or so for a book signing, and already the mm. book is out, and people are commenting about certain aspects of the book, and she's ruled out emphatically about making a comeback to tennis or switching to another sport. Have you got that on your office table? Have you mm. had a chance to have a look at it yet? Well, I'm actually, I'm actually going tomorrow night, Pete. Uh, it's called Ash Barty in Conversation, uh, right in the heart of the city here in Melbourne. So it's an hour sit-down. Uh, I'm not sure how many people will be there. It's sort of theatrette sort of style with Ash. And I think everyone does get a copy of her book who goes along. So whilst I know plenty of the story, I'm sure there's things I'll learn uh, tomorrow night that I, I didn't know. But that's, yeah, no great surprise. Uh, I, I think once Ash Barty sort of sets her mind and makes a decision... Um, you know, she's uh, she's pretty uh, hell-bent on it. So, yeah, I think she's a very, very happy person away from professional tennis and just doing so many things and getting to be close to her family and friends and dogs and, <laughs> and anyone that's important to her. So, no, I think she's in a really good space. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, her memoir, My Dream Time. There is a copy, a copy, I should say, in our household. The wife picked it up the other day. Uh, just one thing that I read this morning, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Uh, I know that reading in the Australian this morning that the Nine Network, and of course you do some work for the Nine Network around the majors, are keen to secure the long-term broadcast rights of the Australian mm. Open and are prepared to pay over the odds to uh, keep it away from the other networks. And they're talking $500 million possibly over the next five years, which will be a great injection yeah. of funds into Australian tennis, particularly at the elite level. But there was a couple yep. of commentators suggesting it may be a bit risky to a certain degree because, of course, Roger Federer, Ash Barty, Rafael Nadal, who probably will retire shortly, are real draw cards. Over the next five years, and you mentioned some of the young brigade coming through, uh, Brett, is there somebody ready to step into these individual shoes, regardless of how big they are? Yeah, I think the way we're going to look at it, Pete, is the it's a bit maybe a bit like the West Indies cricket team in their heyday, who just had all these uh, unbelievable players from all the different islands who came together and produced this incredible era. We know how, fall, how far they've fallen off uh, the perch. So uh, Federer and Nadal, Djokovic have provided this you know, incredible era. The three players, all with similar uh, amount of majors. So that's probably never going to be repeated, but. I tell you what, the talent is there. They're, they're box office, these kids. They're ready. 
Uh, so you've still got, you know, some guys who are a little bit older who these young guys are showing up. And I speak of Medvedev and Sitsi Bass and Zverev and co. And then you've got Rune, Elkarez, Sinner and a few others. Felix now, well entrenched. Orgelia seem in the top 10. They're ready to take these guys down. So there's going to be great rivalries. These guys play an incredible physical brand of tennis that is, you know, worth paying the admission to get along and see. And they'll build their own... Uh, character, if you like, and, and grow into you know more of that uh, spotlight as they keep getting older. So uh, nine, who I think what put in about three hundred million over the first five years, they'll up the ante on that. And I don't, I don't think they'll be disappointed mm. because tennis, um, every era, we've been blessed, haven't we? Every era keeps producing uh, more great champions. So from McEnroe and Borg and. Agassi and Sampras through to Federer and Nadal, Djokovic, and there'll be more and more and more to come. Yeah, and from an Australian perspective, I know there was a nice feature, actually, on Taylor Preston, the 16-year-old here from Western Australia, who reportedly is going places as well. What about on the horizon as far as Australia is concerned? Who can be possibly the next big thing? Well, it's it's tough. Yeah, it is is competitive. More countries than ever before playing professional tennis. Uh, you know, I think at the moment we've got 12 players inside the top 200 and, what, five inside the top 100 in the men. The women's, we know, is Lena and post-Ash. You know, we haven't got a homegrown product. And as much as it's great to have uh, Daria Seville and Isla Tomjanovich inside the top 100, they weren't produced here in Australia. I mean, you talk about young Taylor. I had her coach, uh, Brad, on uh, the show last week. I mean, she is a real prospect. There's Talia Gibson. Gibson is also from Perth. So you're producing a couple of... Good young female players, uh, Pete, that might just be able to, um, you know, not necessarily take the medal of Ash Barty, but certainly get themselves up the uh, the pecking order of uh, tennis. I think our men are super competitive. You know, look at Chris O'Connell, that story. Uh, I mean, he's at a career-high 84 at the age of 28 and doing some uh, wonderful things. So, uh, But is there a gem? Is there a you know one out there who's an uh, absolute standout? Uh, not what I'm hearing at the moment, and that's the challenge for Australian tennis is to keep... You know, trying to find and have the systems in place, the player development, the coaching standards, all that to really produce another mm. world champion. But yeah, they're, they're you know they're hard to come by. Yeah, and of course Nick and Thanasi will be around for a few more years, and they'll always be a draw card. As we let you go, the first serve, of course, follows later this evening here on SENWA. Of course, Monday nights here on the SEN Network, and I believe you spoke earlier to the Tennis Australia CEO Craig Tiley. What's the chat about? Yeah, it's, look, it's about the state of Australian tennis. So it's a hot topic of um, debate here in Australia. And a lot of our show, probably the last two years, Pete, has been dedicated to that grassroots uh, pathway uh, situation here in Australia. We had the Australian Open, of course. We're blessed to have one of the majors. But the discussion wasn't around that. It was around the state of Australian tennis. And obviously, the view inside TA, and no different to any probably governing body in sport, the view outside can be quite polarising and different. So, look, Craig, um, always prepared to take the tough questions. He was pretty candid. And they had their own view on where Australian tennis is right now. They're not saying they're doing everything perfectly. And there's plenty of people challenging from the outside who think we could do it a hell of a lot better here. Uh, so we go into a fair bit of depth um, yeah, that'll be on the show tonight. Yeah, coming up shortly here on SENWA on the network. Thanks for your time, Brett. And we'll uh, touch base again soon. Pleasure. Thank you, Pete. Brett Phillips here on Sports Day on this Monday night. And that's it, really, for the program tonight. Now, tomorrow night, we go inside the vault. What will we find? All I can say, it's cricket-related. 
and one of the most remarkable cricket matches ever played on Australian soil. We'll dig it out of the vault tomorrow night and we'll speak to one of the players from the WA side that took part in that remarkable match. That's coming up tomorrow night. Look forward to your company. Thanks to Kia and Toolmart. This is Sports Day with Peter Blahos. Good night, everyone. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.